This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now. Hello, and welcome everyone to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast with David Nickturn. My name is Michael Cammers, your host and David's sometimes sidekick. This is the second in a series of What the Heck is Mindfulness? Since mindfulness has become a part of our cultural zeitgeist, and there's a lot of marketing out there, we thought it might be good to do a couple episodes about, you know, what is an actual mindfulness practice like? Uh, In this episode, we are going to discuss what a mindfulness practice is like in practice versus in theory. Does that sound about right, Dave? What is the actual experience of practicing mindfulness like? Thank you. Yeah. So... Like anything else, we have the description, we have the imagination, we have the theory, we have the concept, we have somebody else's opinion, we have all kinds of ways of constructing our notion of what a particular experience could be like, or would be like, or is like. And mindfulness meditation is no different in that regard. So we have what we call the view, which we talked about in the last episode. What's the theory behind it? Why would you do such a thing? Why would you take time out in your day, leave time to uh, take a good seat, um, place your mindful attention on the breath going in and out of your body to center and focus your awareness and then begin to see what arises and, uh, abides and then um, evaporates from from our field of experience and look at that experience without only with awareness, without judgment, without bias, without an attempt to manipulate it. So those two elements, that's what we called mindfulness, the focus element, and then the sense of awareness and discovery of what arises without judgment or any kind of attempt to manipulate our experience. So that's what's commonly known as mindfulness. And there's your theory. Um, There's the instruction. We say the instruction is very simple. First, just take a good seat. That's important that you set your body up for success. Have the right supports, right cushions, right chair, whatever you're using. And then take one very simple aspect of uh, experience, which is just feeling the breath going in and out through your nostrils, the breath going in and out of your body so that you're simplifying, reducing your experience down to a very, um, in a sense, limiting, but also expansive uh, relationship to just one thing. 
one pointedness, one one point of focus and uh, intention. And then when we notice we wandered off that, just to simply take note, be aware of the uh, experience that we had, thinking, label it thinking. Maybe we're thinking about a good thing. Maybe we're thinking about the worst possible nightmare. It's all the same from the point of view of this practice. Our mind has become distracted and we're wandering through a kind of discursive forest, a thicket, if you will, of uh, what's essentially imagined experience. Even if it's memory, you're imagining that you're reliving it. If it's something in the future, you're imagining that you're going to live it. And noticing that, you just simply call it thinking, say thinking, and bring your attention back to the breath. That's the instruction. So somebody might say, well, what's the point of doing that? And it's a good idea to notice that the point is to allow the mind to kind of settle and focus and also to create a friendly open space for discovery of uh, what our experience is like, making friends with ourselves and um, learning more about ourselves. And that's enough. Usually we're very, very busy during the day. So this this is enough. We can just do something simple for a, for a while and um, tune into our experience in that way. Now, having set ourselves up for that, you go, uh, what happened? And all kinds of things happen. So the minute you move from the theoretical meditator to the actual meditator, and particularly even maybe the daily or regular meditator, you go, I don't remember reading about this. I don't remember hearing about this. I'm bored. I'm irritated. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm upset. My mouth is dry. My head hurts. Uh, my back hurts. My knees hurt. Um, my life hurts. I feel wounded. I feel ignored. I feel um, ecstatic. I feel overjoyed. And all these experiences arise. Uh, and our instructions is to take note of them and not get caught away, caught up in the discursive festival. So what do we experience? So, Michael, I'm going to throw it back to you. you you've been meditating for quite a while now, and you're a pretty um, diligent meditator. What happens to you when you're on the cushion or on your chair meditating? What, what do you actually experience? Not what you're supposed to, but what do you actually experience? Hmm. What do you actually experience? Your experience. Which seems like a ridiculous thing to say, right? But you, it is a really direct experience. You sit down and you're faced directly with your mind and all those things that you said. Um, I think a lot of us, especially when we first start, you mentioned like that thicket of thought, right? So like you sit down, you place your attention, and then just whoosh, all of a sudden... <laughs> You know, you're in Miss Deal's first grade class again, you know, like where, like, where did that come from? You know, and then you notice and you return, you know, there's um, sometimes we break it down into mind, energy and body. Right. So whatever is happening in our, our body, we're also experiencing that directly, you know, and then especially once that perhaps if that thicket of thoughts if it starts to slow down a little bit or if you get a little space from it and things settle, often, boy, there's some stuff waiting for you under there. It just tends to kind of come up. Usually maybe that's just kind of an energetic thing. Maybe maybe it's resentment. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's bliss, you know? And then you just touch in on that, you notice, and you return over and over again to like this embodied experience of a field of sense perceptions with 
uh, and ener energy moving through it, I guess. How do you experience energy? That is really an interesting discussion because I would say since I've been a mindfulness practitioner, it's shifted. You know, mm -hmm. my experience of body, mind and energy have all shifted. And I think mm -hmm. that's maybe worth stating in a conversation like this. Um, I'm uh, working with our students in teacher training now and a lot of people come to mindfulness, especially with some of the things you may see more broadly, like it's going to fix things, you know, like we're going to get rid of something, we're going to be better, you know, but um, energy is interesting. It always seems to be flowing dynamically unless there's like some kind of block, right? There's like this practice puts us in touch with the fact that our emotions are actually sort of a form of energy. And then there's often a, a narrative or a storyline. And until we start this practice or some kind of practice, they've been fused. And we're, uh, we do not realize that they're arising in space, right? So, like, there's this distinction that can happen between our discursive thought and the energetic felt sense of the emotions, as well as just, like, the energetic of I'm tired or I'm not tired, right? Like, kind of, like, in the body, and that's what does being tired feel like? It, it, you know, it's funny. I talked to you about this one time, and you said it feels like the energy is flowing in the opposite direction. And I, think <laughs> I did. That's, yeah, I think it's a really, it's a good description. You can kind of feel it. It's like whoosh. That's like the Mississippi River. Didn't it just turn around in this Hurricane Ida here? They said oh the God. river flowed the opposite direction. Oh it's the first time it's ever happened. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think, and I think you might agree with this since you're what Michael's referring to as our med mindfulness meditation teacher training program at Dharma Moon, which is an ongoing regular program uh, that we, we have three or four times a year at least. And, you know, it's 100 hours, so it's four months long. People are going deeper into, the, into what mindfulness is and how to present it to others that um, most of the time the students come with some idea of what they want to get out of it, how they want it to go. And I find that true for 45 years I've been teaching this. I find it true today. It's no different. Everybody thinks it's supposed to be like this. It's supposed to be like that. And mainly what it's supposed to be like is something that they think of as probably more uh, positive valence than what they are already feeling. If they're feeling sleepy, they'll be more awake. If they have, if they're too awake, they'll be able to rest. Uh, if their mind is busy, it'll be able to be more quiet. If their emotions are dominant, they'll be able to be equanimous. You know, so it, it takes a long time. I feel like that is the nookie nipple baby bottle of mindfulness that you just have to wean. We all have to wean ourselves off of that expectation that it's going to go one way or another. And they keep putting the bottle in their mouth. You keep, as a teacher, you keep taking it out. And what I've taken to saying to, to people like that all the time is I say, sun-faced Buddha, moon-faced Buddha. There's no bias towards the experience of going one way or another, but you're infusing whatever arises with awareness, which is, uh, that, that's, that's the, that is the change uh, element. So awareness shifts your perspective on things. It makes you feel less trapped, uh, less reactive, you know, less stuck, perhaps. Um, more options become apparent. 
or a basic sense of freedom is uncovered, you know, uh, spaciousness, all those things. So, you know, we're not wrong to want to try to think that the practice has some efficacy or some positive result. But it's just that we have too much expectation of what that might be. And we're sometimes also not aware of the process being uh, unusually creative from its own point of view. <laughs> not necessarily ours, but, you know, putting you through certain um, what you might describe as unpleasant experiences like uh, boredom or irritation or frustration but those can be powerful um, sanding blocks for, for us, for our minds. So, um, so I, uh, Michael, I had this morning, I was talking to somebody and I, this, this story that I really like, it's a Zen master and he's standing on the banks of a river and a student is on the other side of the river and the student's frustrated. He can't get over there where he thinks the Zen master's in some particular place and love equanimity and, uh, you know, enlightenment or whatever. And he, he's screaming across the river, master, master, how do I get to the other side? And the, the Zen master looks back at him and says, you are on the other side. <laughs> Just love that. It's all about the perspective shift, you know? And um, so what is the actual experience of meditation? I think we're trying to say, Michael, is, you know, presenting our particular lineage's point of view of it, is don't have too much hope, don't have too much expectation, be a little gamier than that, a little more curious than that. What do you think? I think it's uh, I think that sounds about right. I've I've found some little nuggets that have personally been helpful getting into the practice with that because there's in some ways it's paradoxical, right? Because we abandon all hope of fruition, the path is the goal. The obstacle is the path. We have these sayings, right? And we also, we hold the view that that's right. You are on the other shore because you are primordially perfect and already indestructibly awake, you know? <laughs> um, but, you know, aspiration without expectation. There you go. Oh, we got another groove. We got our <laughs> hip hop groove there. Aspiration without expectation. What else? Is there, can you come up with another pair? Well, David, I feel like that's a, a leading question. <laughs> do, are we do we going to are we going to get into inspiration along with that aspiration? Well, I don't know. Let's be fresh about it. Um, okay. There's uh, insinuation without infatuation. How about that? That one just stopped my brain. <laughs> I, I don't have any response for that. I'm going to have to go think about that. <laughs> well, it's funny. Infatuation is an interesting state where our mind is sort of caught. Ooh. Like if you think about it in terms of romance and things or, or, or even feelings about a teacher or a practice or something you're reading, you become infatuated, but then you stop sort of investigating. So it'd be uh, investigation without infatuation, too investigating your own infatuation (laughs) infatuation is a projection right you're not actually seeing what's there you're seeing like it's through this intense filter of craving and idealization right okay yeah investigation without idealization all all across the nation i mean it's um it's interesting to think of uh everyday life stuff like falling in love you know, which is somehow in the human world that, you know, people can be all cynical and dry about it, but uh, let's face it, 
that experience lurks and looms around every corner for every able-bodied person in, in, in the galaxy. Um, and it doesn't even have to be for another being. It could be for music or for uh, stamp collecting or whatever it is. But uh, is there a way to continue to investigate your lover, you know, without becoming stuck in any way or infatuated or having too much expectation and therefore then disappointment? Or as, as Trunk remembers, I used to say, riding the chariot of hope and fear. First well, hope leads, then fear leads. Well, these things lead to disappointment, right? And didn't he, there's also another one where he says, like, disappointment is the chariot of the Dharma. Well, and also how about um, enlightenment is ego's final disappointment, which we've said before, but that's kind of a, a winning a winning phrase right there. Yeah, disappointment is probably a healthy healthy ingredient in, in practice and in people's path. They don't think so. We don't think so. We think, bummer, man, it's not turning out right. What did I do wrong? Or, or I have the wrong teacher or the wrong teaching or something like that. Um, but disappointment is the beginning of a turn towards what's actually happening, usually, if, if you don't be, cave in on it, you know, if, if you don't freeze it and solidify it. It's fertile soil for practice, right? Mm. So if, if we bring this back to the experience of mindfulness meditation, right? Um, one of the frameworks, general framework that I've read is sort of like analytical meditation versus non-analytical meditation, right? So when we're talking about um, investigating, there's different ways to investigate, right? So you could investigate that infatuation through a train of thought, Mm -hmm. Right. But in the kind of mindfulness meditation that we practice, the investigation is just sitting, placing attention and then seeing what arises with non-bias. And it's interest. The interesting thing there that I have found in my practice and working with others is that noticing is different than judging. And mm -hmm. then and and simply sitting and seeing that can lead to insight, whether it's into our disappointment or into our infatuation or to the nature of our own mind, et cetera, et cetera. Well, and then jumping off from that, Mike, you know, all of us, I, I, I could lay claim to this space. You notice, but it's loaded with judgment. <laughs> yeah, let's be and real. And you go, be I honest. know I'm theoretically not supposed to be non-judgmental. I'm supposed to be non-judgmental, but here I am even judging that. Like, maybe that's not even a good idea. Who could be non-judgmental? You have that kind of thread going on in your mind. What kind of expectation does that set up for us? That's ridiculous. So um, the idea of actually um, cutting loose cutting loose chunks, fibrous chunks of habit, mental, physical, and psychological habit, and cutting them loose. And they, they, it's like they, they go back into the stream and they flow through. And now you have water flowing through, through the, the stream. And, not, and then you think, well, the water is so beautiful. I, I want to swim in that water forever. And then you go, cut it loose. So this idea of cutting loose, I think, is... Um, in a very, in a snippy, snip way, like with one of those little cuticle scissors, just cut it loose like that. Not, not with a hacksaw, you know, just snip and it's, it's loose. Like the baby, you know, you snip the umbilical cord. The baby is the thought. The mother is the thinker and you snip and separate them. 
as as quite as quite the image, you know. I mean that that baby goes on to take a life of its own. However, perhaps in mindfulness, the thought just self liberates. Well, and the question is, are you going to follow the baby or follow the mother? Mm. Mm. <laughs> the mother, in this case, being the mind itself that's generating the thought. So this is beyond mindfulness, technically, where you look directly at the uh, root or the source of the, the origin point. Um, that's moving into a, kind of a slightly different approach to practice. But let's leave it at this, Mike. Abandon all hope of fruition, but stay cheerful. Thanks for tuning in, folks, to episode number two of What the Heck is Mindfulness on the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast on the Be Here Now Network. Thank you, and be well. There you have it, folks, installment number two of our three-part series, What the Heck is Mindfulness? We sincerely hope that you enjoyed it and that it was of some benefit to you in helping you clarify your practice or maybe even inspiring you to get on the cushion. Stick around for installment number three where we'll talk about post-meditation. How does our mindfulness practice continue when we get off the cushion? What's that look like and how do we engage with the world? So thanks for tuning in. Uh, We are on YouTube now. If you're not watching this on YouTube, uh, you can head over to Be Here Now Network's YouTube channel and you can see David and I's pretty face in conversation and really get more of the human dimension of this kind of exchange with teacher and student. If you'd like to support this podcast and the Be Here Now Network, please head over to www.beherenownetwork.com slash David. You can find all of our content there, as well as all of the podcasts on the Be Here Now Network. We'd like to thank Corey and everyone over there for their assistance with this podcast. We'd also like to thank our executive producer, Melissa Mattern. And that's it for this episode, folks. Thanks for tuning in. May you be safe, healthy, happy, and at ease. All the best. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest right now? Are you feeling lonely, unappreciated, or misunderstood? When you keep these feelings bottled up, they can affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's a great way to increase your self-awareness, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.